Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Our Father, on this day, as we remember once again that in the midst of all the chaos and the uncertainty and the challenges we are facing, that you are you remain a God who is faithful to us every day. That even in this moment, if our eyes are open, if our ears are open, we will see and we will hear signs and sounds of your faithfulness to us every day. So we thank you for this hope. We thank you for this truth from your word that even in times of difficulty and stress and trouble, you remain faithful, you remain good. And we rest in this knowledge today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to our online service. We're back in that weird place. I'm sitting in our main auditorium and looking out, and there are three people here uh, out in the chairs. So it's a strange thing indeed. Uh, but I am grateful that you are joining us online as we continue to plot our way through this pandemic. I'll talk about what's going to be happening next week and in subs- on subsequent Sundays going forward. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the other day I went into our kitchen at our house and I pulled open one of the cabinets and I saw Oak Hills Church sitting on the shelf. Let me explain. It was the cabinet where we keep our coffee cups. And it seems to me there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who have a bunch of coffee cups that were purchased from Target or Amazon or Bed Bath and Beyond, and they all look basically the same. They were purchased as a group, kind of a set, and there may be some that are taller and some that are smaller, but generally speaking, they all look the same. And one kind of people in the world buys coffee cups that all look basically the same. But then there are those who have a bunch of coffee cups assembled over the years from a variety of sources, and almost none of them look the same. And that's us. That's what our cabinet looks like at our house. And so sitting in the cabinet that I opened the other day is the cup Izzy got us a few years ago when she went to Disneyland. Then there is the one that my son Sam and his fiance there's two of them actually, they made for us a couple Christmases ago where they took a picture of our family of five and they took, say, Sam's head and put it on Izzy and they took Izzy's head and put it on me and so forth. There's a couple of those in our cabinet. Then there is the USF travel mug that I got from one of Izzy's friends at school. Then there is the blue hydro flask travel mug that Izzy bought a few years years ago and I stole a few years ago. Then there are a few mugs that were handmade by Julie's niece, who lives in Wisconsin. Then there's my Mr. Rogers mug, Fred Rogers, beautiful day in the neighborhood guy. This is the coolest mug. When you pour coffee into this Mr. Rogers mug, he's got on a sweater. When you pour the coffee in, the heat of the coffee changes the color of his sweater. Somehow recently, we have no idea where it came from, a mug showed up that when you pour the coffee into it, on the outside of the mug, the Marauder's map from Harry Potter suddenly appears on the outside, and I could go on and on and on, story after story of different mugs with different shapes, different sizes, and different backgrounds all hanging out in the same 
cabinet. I found Oak Hills Church in my kitchen cabinet the other day. So with kind of that image in our minds, I'd like to ask you to stand for our scripture reading today and hear our scripture reading uh, in the context of this kind of picture of Oak Hills. This passage I'm going to read is short. It's John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. And this, just so we get a bit of the context, this is a prayer. Jesus is in the middle of praying, uh, not too long before he is executed. And we are going to pick this up in verse 20. He's been praying for his disciples who are with him. And now he turns and begins to pray for those disciples like us who will come down the road throughout history. And he says this in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Seems to me one of the surest ways to know what God wants or to know what is central in His heart and in His will is to consider the priorities Jesus expresses in His prayers. What Jesus asks of the Father, it seems to me by definition, is crucially important, maybe supremely important, and a big clue as to what Jesus really cares about. And if Jesus were to pray about something in the vulnerable moments near the end of his earthly life, it seems we would get an even clearer picture of what his will actually is, of what Jesus wants God the Father to do. His prayers near the end of his life, in other words, hone in on things that really matter to him, that are important to him. And one of the churnings in me this summer is Jesus' prayer here in John 17, and in particular, these couple of verses I just read. He's near the end of his earthly life. In fact, he only has a few hours left on this planet. As I mentioned, he's already spent time praying for his immediate group of disciples, that is, those who followed him when he was on earth and lived with him for the three years that he did ministry. And in verse 20, the opening statement, the opening verse of what we read, Jesus prays for those who will believe in him in the days and years and decades and centuries to come. So he's praying in part for us, for you and for me. And that's pretty cool to think about. His life is nearly over. This era of redemption history is almost complete. And so this prayer reveals the will of God for followers of Jesus like us. He prays in verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Just as God the Father and God the Son are two distinct persons, but one God, Jesus prays that this 
relational beauty within the Godhead, the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the togetherness they have, that this relational beauty would be reflected in his followers throughout the centuries. And then verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It's an incredible prayer. It's a prayer we may read and go, man, that's just so far out there. Can't even conceive of what it would look like if this prayer were answered. The glory of God is reflected, manifested, made known, and on display when the power of God unites the people of God. In verse 23, Jesus prays then that the big C church, as we sometimes call it, the people of God would be brought to complete unity, is the phrase he uses. The actual word is perfect unity. Mind-boggling, astounding prayer that the people of God down through the centuries would be brought to perfect unity. It's implied, obviously, that on the road to perfect unity, there will be some challenges. It will not come easy. Unity will not come easy. There will be lots of divisive threats along the way. But Jesus is asking God the Father for followers like us to be unified even though there are differences between us. He prays we will be one because God is in us and with us and His presence and His power is strong enough to encompass our differences. Now you may be thinking, and you will be you correct if you are, Jesus' prayer that we just read has not been answered completely. Because the people of God in this world are not, and really never have been, all that unified. Just think of the countless denominations. There's much we could say that is perhaps good about denominations. There's much we could say that isn't. But among all those things we can say, we certainly can say that denominations are an ongoing testimony to the disunity of God's people on this earth. So God still works. It's messy. We get it. We live as fallen and fractured people in a fallen and fractured world. And not even the prayers of Jesus can completely heal all of those fractures In an instant, we get it. It's messy. But it's astounding to think nonetheless, Jesus' prayer near the end of his life is that his people, you and I, would be unified even though we are different. So let's get a little bit more squarely in our lane today. Maybe drop out of this big ethereal uh, cloud and get down into our lane today. The glory of God is made known and on display When we as a local church, Oak Hills, treasure our unity in Christ and pursue unity in Christ and work to preserve the unity we have in Christ and refuse to let our differences divide us. We, as one local church, Oak Hills, display the glory of God when we pray for and work for and pursue unity in Christ even though we are different In many ways, think coffee cups, all different kinds. We are different in age. We are different in ethnicity. We are different genders, different political affiliations, 
different beliefs on certain things. Our differences want to divide us into a paradigm of us versus them. They work to divide us. There is pressure behind our differences, almost inertia behind our differences to divide us. I'm talking about within our lane of Oak Hills Church to divide us into this category, this paradigm of us versus them. So Jesus' prayer for unity is crucial. And the work of unity is crucial. And especially in these bizarre and stressful times in which we live, our unity at Oak Hills Church is crucial. But why is it so crucial? I mean, what's the big deal? What's all the fuss about after all? It's just church, right? We do some stuff and then we go our separate ways. And if we don't like the one we're in, we can go down the street and find 25 other ones. So what's the big deal? Why all the fuss about this? Well, Jesus prays that his people will be brought to complete or perfect unity for a reason. These are his words. Then the world will know that you, he's talking about the Father, sent me, Jesus, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now you talk about astounding. The world will know is what he starts with. The unity of the church then, and again in our lane, the unity of Oak Hills, shows the world that God is actually with us. And his love and his power is actually in us and operating in us. So the unity of the church in our lane at Oak Hills is a testimony to the reality of God and to the legitimacy of Jesus Christ. So just in these few verses in this prayer, Jesus has presented to us a rather high view of what the church is supposed to be. And when we start to get even a slight hint of what Jesus is actually praying for here, when it even a little bit grabs our attention, it's absolutely bone-rattling. And it is redemptively disruptive as we sometimes say around here. And again, I want to just stay in our lane as one local church. I'm not trying to compare Oak Hills to any other church. I'm not getting into all that. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Keep this real simple. Our life together as Christ followers at Oak Hills is really important because when we practice unity, we show the world the love of God and the reality of Jesus Christ. So think of it in these terms. How do people do different ethnicities, different ages, different backgrounds? How do people who have different political affiliations and persuasions, how do people who have a different social status, different incomes, men and women, different preferences, different likes and dislikes and sins and foibles and flaws and abilities and disabilities, how does this cupboard full of different coffee cups come together and love each other and care for each other and journey together in such an unusual way. How does that actually happen? Answer. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are part of His family. We are each, if we are His follower, we are each in Him. And this thing we share in common is stronger than all of those differences. This is big time stuff. This is churning at a rapid rate within my heart. 
And to kind of keep poking at it, just so we're clear, when we think of Oak Hills Church, or when we hear this phrase, our life together as a church, make sure we understand we are not just talking about a Sunday gathering. Not at all. These Sunday services have their role. But when we talk about Oak Hills Church or our life together as a church, we are talking about something bigger than just these services. Now, next week, you may or may not know this, but we are going to open our services back up. And we're going to begin meeting one service at 9 o'clock outside over there in the parking lot as one big group. No number restrictions. We're going to gather together. We're going to worship together. We're going to have all the markings out there so everybody has their spot with their six or eight or ten feet of room so they can be there. And I can't wait for that. We will worship God together and we will do our best to be safe and we can all be together next Sunday at 9 a.m. and subsequent Sundays going forward. We're going to do it outside and I can't wait for that. But our life together is about more than just what happens on a Sunday. It's about the way we as Christ followers at this local church do life together. The way we love one another. The way we care for one another in times of crisis. The impact we have on one another just by being with each other. Strangest thing. This room is empty but for two or three people. We had this worship time. I walked into the back of the room and there's someone sitting right over here who is engaged in their time of worship. Their own time of worship as Jordan and the team was leading us. And as I'm walking over here to my spot, I see this person fervently engaged in a time of worship and it does something to me. It moves me. It grabs my attention because a sister of mine in Christ at Oak Hills is engaged in something and her engagement in it has an effect on me right there in the moment. So this life together, this doing church is about doing life together, caring for each other, loving one another in times of crisis, navigating this pandemic together, helping to raise each other's kids in a variety of ways, grappling with truth together, discerning Decisions we make as individuals and as a congregation, trying to do that together. Showing up in each other's lives in a variety of ways. Stepping into each other's messy marriages. Being present in those relational trouble spots with one another. It's our business when someone in our church is going through difficulty. Being the church together also means speaking the truth to one another. And again, I don't mean this. I mean face-to-face with one another. Having conversations face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom where we're talking about things that matter. We're living in a time of stress and pressure and uncertainty, as you know, bombarded with opinions coming from every direction. The pandemic and the splintering state of our nation is taking its toll. And for those who profess to follow Jesus Christ, this is a crucial time to actually follow Jesus Christ. To respond to all of this like Him. 
in the verbiage of 2 Corinthians 10. This is a time for followers of Jesus Christ to take captive every thought and submit it to Jesus' leadership and kingship and reign before we act on the thought, before we post something on the thought. This is a crucial time for those of us who profess to follow Jesus Christ to be united, to be together, to be one. Why? Because the differences in our nation are ripping our nation apart. And we as the people of God at this local church have an opportunity to show the world a better way of handling differences with humility, with gentleness, with grace as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who belong to the same family. And again, let's stay in our lane. This is a crucial time for Ochillians to actually follow Jesus and take our thoughts captive and submit them to Jesus' leadership and to Jesus' reign and maybe to a few other trusted friends before we act on them, before we speak, before we post something on social media. I mean, it is so easy in these challenging times to kind of constantly be in a posture of evaluation, reaction, complaint, critique, and speculation. So let's get into the details. Some of you think churches should defy the recent order of our governor and be open right now. It bothers you that you're not sitting in this room right now. You think we should be here, we should be singing, and we should burn the masks. While some of you think churches and Oak Hills should not be open, should not have opened yet, and it's all within the universe of Oak Hills, those two thoughts. Some of you think the pandemic is overblown. Some of you think it's a conspiracy to suppress the economy so people vote for Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump. And on and on and on we could go just within our lane called Oak Hills. But do you know what Oak Hillian Christians should really be thinking about these days? If you'll permit me to be a little pushy here, do you know what Oak Hillian Christians should really be thinking about these days? Something like this. How would Jesus Christ have me respond to all of this? Given my responsibility to first follow Him and represent Him, how would He have me respond? And then this. And given His desire for unity in His church, and given the fact that I am a part of Oak Hills Church, how would Jesus Christ have me respond given his passion for unity in his church? This is a crucial time for O'Killians to be unified, though different, in Christ. To be together, though we are apart, in Christ. To be one, though we are many cups, in Christ. For this is a crucial time for the church in our lane, for our church, to show the world the better way of Jesus and the beautiful ethics of his kingdom. See, the ethics of Jesus' kingdom are the constitution of the Christ follower. It is the code 
by which we live as his people. So what's in the code we live by as his people? What are some of the aspects of the Constitution we as followers, what are some of the aspects of Jesus' Constitution we agreed to follow when we signed up to follow him? few things, such as grace, humility, gentleness, love, love, humility, truth-telling, love, relationship, humility, and humility. We have wonderful differences in our church. Lots of coffee cups. And I wouldn't want it any other way. We have differences in age, color, gender, background, vocation, career, financial stuff, different beliefs, different political affiliations. I'm praying for greater differences in all of those ways. I want more coffee cups that look different. What is that? That's a coffee cup. Really? It doesn't look like one. Bring it on. Put it in the cupboard. I'm praying for greater differences so we would be a church of unlikes. Why? So the power of Jesus Christ is on display even more. But in pressure-packed time, times like these, our differences can divide us. Here's what that looks like. We dismiss those who look or think or vote differently than we do. Talk about within our lane at Oak Hills. Or we push away from them instead of moving toward them. We critique them from a comfortable distance instead of loving them up close. We label them instead of listening to learn from them. We write them off instead of pulling up a chair and having a real conversation where truth is spoken. And sometimes it's hard truth. What's that look like? It looks like this. Hey, we're both followers of Jesus Christ and we both come to the Lord's table at Oak Hills. So we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So help me understand your perspective on race or your perspective on abortion. Or help me understand your attitude about this pandemic because I'm having a hard time understanding how we both can profess to be followers of Jesus and see this stuff so differently. That's what it looks like. You know, it's way easier to just write the other off and then go commiserate with those who agree with us. It's easier to surround ourselves with those who look just like us and think just like us, and vote just like us. It's like if coffee cups could talk, they might say, eh, I don't want to be with all those different ones. Where's the white ones that got blue around it? Those are the ones I want to be with. It's just easier to surround ourselves with people who are like us and write off those who aren't. And when we do this within our own congregation, with those who feast at the same table in the same church, when we do this, we tear at our unity. And we dull the shine of shalom God wants to proclaim through our unity. It's so easy to make enemies, draw the lines, and then invest time and energy in the fight. We like doing this. 
Everything is now a competition or a fight. Red versus blue. Trump versus Biden. The pandemic is real. No, the pandemic is fake. The government cares about us. No, the government's lying to us. Racism is real. Racism is overblown. Everything wants to become us versus them. There's always a them. Trump is a them. Newsom is a them. The church is a them. Mike is a them. The congregation is a them. Greg Rosler is a them. Republicans are a them. Democrats are a them. Gun owners are a them. Cat lovers are a them. And we as Christ followers, you know this just like I do, we get sucked into this game without even realizing it. We forget that above all else, item number one on our resume reads as follows. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I am a member of His family and everything else is froth. One of the guys I love to read, Dave Fitch, puts it this way. Belief minus practice equals ideology. And our ideologies, he writes, live off of the demonizing of an enemy through making assumptions about them, taking out our worst insecurities on them, and trying to protect ourselves from them at all costs. We know what we're against, but we've forgotten what we are for. I want us to think about that statement from the perspective of being a follower of Jesus Christ at Oak Hills Church. Just in this lane, just for this moment. Belief minus practice equals ideology. Our ideologies live off the demonizing of an enemy through our making assumptions about them, taking out our worst insecurities on them, and trying to protect ourselves from them at all costs. We know what we're against, but we've forgotten what we're for. Question, who are we demonizing these days within our own congregation? Who are we making assumptions about within our own church family these days? Who are we taking our worst insecurities out on in our own church family these days? Who are we trying to protect ourselves from in our own church family these days? Who is it that if this were a communion Sunday, we would be filing forward to come to the Lord's table of reconciliation together, but we are trying to stay away from so-and-so? Who is that? What are we for as a congregation? What are we about? Jesus' prayer again. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Complete unity, togetherness, love, truth-telling, grace-giving, bound together by our shared devotion to Jesus 
and refusing to dumb down this devotion to accommodate our lack of devotion to Jesus. A vision of people who love each other in Christ so they get face to face when they disagree or zoom to zoom. They take the initiative and they get face to face. Why? Because unity calls for it and shalom depends on it. And what are we as a congregation for? We are for unity because it proclaims something to the world. And we are for shalom because it proclaims something to the world. Again, Dave Fitch. The question for Christians everywhere as we gather in church services amid the tumult of our times is this. Is my church more like a political rally or the table of the Lord? Is our life together empty at the core or do we gather in his fullness? Do we gather as a church of us versus them or as one body in Christ? Can we, by the power and presence of the living Christ, be that space in the world that is beyond enemies? What are we for? That's what we're for. A vision, our life together as a local congregation permeated with the reality of the living Jesus Christ. We gather, whatever that is, in a small group, on a Sunday, whenever, we gather in His fullness. Meaning the substance of His presence is the reason for the gathering. And real stuff is happening. Real conversations are happening. We're moving out into the deep water of faith and life in a difficult time. We're refusing to settle for splashing in the ankle-deep water of the Christian faith and occupying ourselves with all sorts of fancy things that have absolutely nothing to do with real life in a broken world in community right now. And we just simply refuse to play these silly games of chronic complaining and relentless critiquing and returning anger for anger and insult for insult and blame for blame. A vision. We are followers of Jesus and citizens of his kingdom before we are Americans, Democrats, Republicans, or any other label you want to slap on. So we follow the way of our king and we adhere to the constitution of our king above all other loyalties. And when the way of Jesus contradicts with our way or with our preferences or with our preferred political affiliation or with our ingrained DNA, we choose the Jesus way because that's what Jesus followers do. A vision of mutual submission where we learn how to speak the truth in love to each other. Why? Because people think, well, what do I do with those within my own church family who think this way about subject X or say these things about topic Y? Here's the answer. It's really straightforward. You move toward them and you sit with them and you pull up a chair and you have a conversation to try to sort it out and it will be hard and it may be conflictual and it may be that one or the other will walk away from that with the mindset of if this is what this church is about I'm out of here could happen 
We're speaking the truth in love, in gentleness, in humility, instead of the alternative, dismissing each other, labeling each other, writing each other off. And then we come to communion and we engage in this glorious facade of walking forward to the table of reconciliation, but we haven't pursued reconciliation with those we disagree with in our own family. I've had a couple meetings over the past couple of weeks with two different people who wanted clarification on where I stood on various things. They were troubled by me. I was their them. At least I was beginning to become their them. It's not the first time this has happened, by the way, but they came, they initiated, and we sat down face-to-face, ten feet of separation, and we talked And it is just a beautiful example of, in these case, this case, these folks pursuing unity instead of settling for division. And I'm telling you, in those conversations, the kingdom is present and the living Christ is present. A vision, as Fitch says. Can we, our congregation, by the power and presence of the living Christ, Be that space in this world that is beyond enemies. A place where delicate ideas and hot-button words and difficult issues such as Trump, abortion, race, homosexuality, social justice, biblical truth, foundational truth, healthy marriages, strong families, Caring for the poor and many other ideas can be authentically talked about, prayed through, discerned, and sorted out. A vision where people who want nothing to do with church will encounter a group of you, a community of you, out in the ordinary course of your life. And the vitality and the health of your Christ-centered group or community will intrigue your friend because they will experience something undeniably different in your Christ-centered group or gathering. And some kind of redemption, some kind of reconciliation, some kind of awakening will begin. A vision where we step into the middle of the crisis facing our schools this fall. Belief minus practice equals ideology. How about belief plus practice? We step into the middle of the crisis facing our schools this fall where there's a real need and we find creative and sacrificial ways to be of service and meet the needs of those who are going to be displaced and disrupted by online school. What are we for? We are for stepping toward that and finding a way to serve our community and meet those kinds of needs. A vision where we, you and I, increasingly recognize this stuff is real. This stuff matters. Jesus and his kingdom is the reality every single human soul is longing to experience and when they experience it, they want it. But they have to see it. They have to hear it. 
They have to experience it. And what are we for? What are we about as one local church? Our job is to display the kingdom. Our job is to manifest the kingdom and manifest shalom and proclaim the kingdom and proclaim shalom through our life together as Oak Hills Church. Let's pray together. Make it so, Lord Jesus Christ, beyond what we ask or imagine. We pray that our cupboard will continue to be filled with cups that don't look the same. So that your power at work in us will proclaim a message of who you are and of the depth of your love that the world is intrigued by and cannot deny. We do not want to fiddle around in ankle-deep water and busy ourselves with things that don't matter. Help us to realize our unity together as a Christian church matters. It declares something. So help us to grow in that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.